Welcome to Imran's podcast, episode number 77. This is your host, Suman Silwal. Learn to just appreciate the joy of running and what it can offer you in your life. I know so many times I myself, I get caught up in winning the race and, and getting that accolade or getting the course record. And- Visit mruns.com to listen to our previous podcast shows, links to our social media channels, as well as get discount codes for 7 Bridges Marathon and all South and Trail Series events. I'd like to welcome Greg Armstrong to Imran's podcast. Greg is from Lebanon, Tennessee. First time I met Greg uh, back in a few years ago when we were running a Run for Kids uh, challenge here in Birmingham. You were with a thing of shorts and uh, sandals and the shirts. I was like, who, who runs a 12-hour run like that? And, <laughs> and little did I knew, or I, I knew back then, and somebody told me later on say, who you were, and uh, I didn't get to talk to you afterward. But you passed me about... Uh, I don't know what lab it was, and then then you just kind of smooth running. Um, I never saw you. You know, we saw each other throughout the uh, later on, but uh, it was great uh, meeting you back then, and I haven't seen you ever since. Greg, how you doing today? I'm doing great. So, what have you been doing uh, since that time I saw you? Before we go into detail, you can kind of gr- briefly give me some overview, and then we'll go into more in detail. Sure. I was trying to think back. That I believe that was the spring that. Um, I was really trying to make a push to qualify for the U.S. 24-hour team. I think that was that was my, I think that was kind of on my my radar at that time. I'd kind of done a couple of hundred milers and you know just a decent trail runner. Um, and then somebody suggested that I try the 24-hour uh, national championship, and kind of to my surprise, I was able to I think perform a little bit better on on a road type ultra. So that became my pursuit for those. For those next three years, trying to make that U.S. 24-hour team where they take the top six men in the nation, the top six women. And I was fortunate enough to, to qualify for that team in 2000, uh, let's see, 2015 it was. So I was able to compete in Torino, Tur- Italy in 2015 for the U.S. And, and I guess in the process of, you know, get working up to the 24-hour event, I was able to um, tackle Vol State, which had, had been on my radar for ever since I started ultra running and, and then Badwater 146. So those have been, I guess, the things that I've been, been I guess, most blessed to be able to participate in the last last three years. Definitely. Uh, sounds like a lot of great resume. Uh, when I met you, you were kind of just the beginning of that cycle, I think. Uh, I think you mentioned that uh, when we briefly talked. Uh, before we go forward, um, I just like to we just like to know, yeah, you know, give us uh, your running running journey. How did you get here? When I saw you then, what was your running background? Were you a runner, athlete? Tell us about your running journey. How did you become a runner, or were you a lifetime runner? Sure. Well, I've always been a runner. I, you know, I was kind of that early, you know, the early '80s craze of running. My father was, you know, go out and do the three or four miles every morning. So even when I was just too small to keep up with him i'd ride my bike and then finally when i was you know older i'd i'd take in those two or three miles uh, each morning with him maybe a couple of days a week and so that kind of i've always enjoyed running ran cross country in high school and i was a decent runner i was uh, you know probably second third on the team probably could have walked on and and ran in college somewhere but not necessarily gifted enough to to be you know real competitive so i opted just to be more of a recreational run runner in college um at, through my 20s you know i always I, you know i'd make you know i would do a street run or i decided i was going to run four miles every day out of the year or something like that but nothing definitely nothing competitive um it wasn't until 2008 
I was uh, got into doing Ironman races. I wanted to do um, complete an Ironman race, and um, for some reason, I, you know, I, in that training for that that distance for the Ironman, I kind of got got my eye on a hundred mile race. And so, a month after doing my second Louisville Ironman. Uh, in 2008, I completed the Arkansas Traveler 100, and I kind of caught the u- ultra bug at that point and didn't turn back. I haven't done another Ironman race since <laughs> then. And, and then, I guess, 2010, um, I, I had a personal goal. I wanted to run from the Alabama state line to the Kentucky state line in less than 24 hours. It was 120 miles, um, and do that to raise awareness for the water crisis, something that I've been kind of involved in. I've got a nonprofit. We go to impoverished areas in the world to drill wells or to repair wells or to provide water sterilization systems. And uh, so that kind of began the run for water part of my my ministry and kind of connecting two passions of my life, running and the water crisis. And so and that, that kind of kicked off that part of part of the running aspect. And and ever since, I guess, 2000, between 2000, maybe 2008 and 2014, 2015, you know, I was just, I'd, I'd train for a 100-mile run. And every now and then, I'd be fortunate enough to podium and do well in some of their smaller um, trail races. And then there's, I guess, the, the turning point in my running career uh, would have must have been 2015 i believe it was 2015 it was the teton 100 it's a point-to-point race uh lisa batchin smith was a race director of course anybody that knows lisa batchin smith and anything she puts together is going to be a phenomenal event but it's a point-to-point run from west yellowstone uh, montana to driggs idaho and uh, you know at that point i was still kind of a you know nobody really knew my name or you know had any any impressive running resume but something happened that day and at mile 50 i was uh i was running with connie gardner uh and in third and fourth place behind oswaldo lopez and grant monoghan uh you know two badwater stars for them for the last probably 10 years and then mile 87 i was able to pass grant mile 96 i caught up with oswaldo and i'll never forget you know he, he's known for drinking beer with salt starting about halfway through his ultras <laughs> he offered me a beer with salt and we ran stride for stride for the last four miles and came down to a 50 yard dash 100 mile race and wow. i think he edged edged me out by 10 seconds but after the race that's when connie gardner talked me into running the national championship the 24 hour and you know felt like that and it was it was really neat to see those elite athletes you know at least they felt like I still don't feel like I'm in their league, but at least they felt like that, you know, I had, I had some opportunities to, to take my running, you know, a little bit more serious and having them believe in me a little bit, I think made a big difference. Um, and so, yeah, it definitely looked like you put yourself on the map. Right. Exactly. And then, you know, I ran the national championship that year and John Cash and I kind of duked it out. I think he beat me by a mile and a half. I was second place. And, um, and, you know, then then you're like the U.S. coach, Howard Nippert, was at that national championship. And after the race, he's like, Greg, you got, you know, if you really train, give you some tips, I think you could make a run at making the U.S. team. And, of course, you know, I, I'm, I guess my running style, I, I call myself a grinder. You know, I don't have the speed or the talent that a lot of these guys have. I mean, on a good day, I could maybe, I could break three hours on a, marathon on a on a really good day if things are going going well um so i don't have that 
that given ability necessarily but um definitely i can i can say that and even even on that day when we raced uh, uh run for kids you were not running fast even when you passed me you know so right. definitely yeah and so that that just gave me that you know that kind of that goal of being able to maybe make the u.s team and i don't know if if people out there listening are familiar with that it is a oh it's so it's such a mental process because they take the top six men top six women in the nation but at any certified course 24-hour race you can get bumped i mean and so you know at one point i was fourth and then desert solstice takes place out west which is known to have you know really high marks um i wasn't i had a death in the family so i had to back out that week stayed up all night just watching the miles you know turn over <laughs> i got bumped to sixth place ended up going to the very last weekend where somebody could qualify to pensacola because you had joe Feggie and a couple other big guys that were trying to basically bump me off of the sixth spot you're trying to defend your spot so i mean it's but it makes it really exciting i mean that that was and and to have to be able to wear that u.s jersey and to compete in the world championship was definitely a highlight not only of my running career but even of my life so that was that was really a, a blessing definitely uh that sounds like a biggest highlight uh, so far in your life uh mm-hmm. so so tell us about uh, beyond beyond that point uh what uh, what have you what have you done uh you said you mentioned our bad water uh, when did you run the bad water uh, that was last uh, summer of 2016 so just um, yeah recent last year so mm-hmm. and that one's always been I, i i'm from murfreesboro tennessee originally um And when I was a child, David Jones, who won Badwater, I think in 90, early 90s, um, you know, he was kind of like, you know, I, I knew him really well, kind of a family friend. So, you know, I, even before I started doing ultras, I knew about Badwater. And, and I always, I guess I'm kind of a purist in a sense of, um, you know, I felt like for me, the Badwater 146 was a much, that just made more sense. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not one that, enjoys a whole lot of fanfare i think to me running especially ultras that's one reason i left the iron man you know circuit and kind of got into ultras just because you have uh, it, it's such it's so much more of a personal journey so um and it, for those that aren't familiar of course everybody's familiar with maybe the badwater 135 but you know the original concept of badwater was starting at the lowest point in the united states which is 282 feet below sea level at badwater basin in death valley and then running to the highest point in the lower 48 states, which is the summit of Mount Whitney. So 146 miles goes to 14,505 feet of elevation um, due to park, you know, restrictions and such. When the race became more organized and more popular, the park doesn't allow 100 runners on the trail to go into Mount Whitney. So the the Badwater 135 race ends at Whitney Portal at 8,000 feet instead of the 14,000. So I, I kind of toyed back and forth. Do you know? Do you do the you know the the race that ends at 135? But I like that original concept, letting nature dictate the start and the finish line. And so kind of opted for the the Badwater 146. Um, of course, with someone that's from Tennessee in the lowlands, you know that <laughs> altitude <laughs> creates a, an additional challenge that that you know i enjoy trying to overcome so um that was a part of the challenge from that as well definitely uh i'm sure the tennessee heat helped a little bit uh to to train for the for, for the bad water uh, mm-hmm. uh we skipped the part um, um that that i would like to also you to talk a little bit about actual the event that you that you went uh 
2015 World Championship. Uh, that's what uh, your highlight, highlight of your lifetime so far. Tell us about uh, the experience being at the at the event itself. Yeah, well, it's it's hard to even describe. Just the part, I guess, backing up the month before when you go and there's a UPS package outside and you open it up and you get that USA jersey that. Uh, that was incredible and i you know i remember you know the the i guess kind of the arrangement that track and field u.s track and field has with nike or whatever it is is if you don't start the race and if you don't compete in the world championship you have to return to jersey (laughs) so but if you won (laughs) if you run if you're at the start line and you start one step you get to keep the jersey so you know that's part of that incentive of you know, just having that jersey to be able to pass down to generations and generations. But it was just a phenomenal time. I mean, I I was able to, my entire family, we spent 10 days in Italy prior to the event, just, you know, taking in the the culture and and just, you know, the the countryside. And then just to be able to compete with those guys and and build some of those lifelong friendships. Um, I know that um, Harvey Lewis, you know, he's become a good friend of mine. We, uh, it was three months prior to the world championship that, um, Selma, um, the 50, 50th anniversary of the Selma March, and Harvey and I went down and ran the 50 miles from Selma to Montgomery to commemorate the um, 50th anniversary of uh, the Selma March. And you know, there's just so many different aspects of that, not just the event in Italy, but the months leading up to it, getting to know the, our, you know, my U.S. teammates and and um, you know, working with them. I didn't have the best day. I I was thir- they if for those that don't don't know that event uh that you'll have six men six women that um can participate and they take the top three from each country to get a composite team score um i was the third to place for the u.s so my my mileage and my score i counted um i ran 141.6 that day which was you know not great i think it was maybe 40th in the world out of the 200 some odd that competed so wasn't wonderful, but um, I kind of I kind of hold myself a little responsible. We missed bronze by three miles, so um, you know, if myself and Harvey Lewis and Rich Riopelle, which were the top three that that placed for the U.S. that day, if our collective mileage, if we could have run three more miles between the three of us, we would have got a bronze medal. And I guess since <laughs> I was the I was the the least of those three, I kind of felt like I could have gutted out maybe another three miles. But we all know what that's like in an ultra. You, you, it's hindsight's easy to say. <laughs> yeah, every mile a little faster. <laughs> yeah, but, um, those, those miles comes, doesn't come easy as you go no, forward. Right you're now. you're talking about 141.6 miles. Three miles, that is probably an hour <laughs> running. And, and you don't have an hour, I guess, in the 24 That's hours. Right. So. No, you don't have an extra hour. Yeah. So tell us about um, uh, your this 24 hours. Uh, looks like you do a lot of them, and you, you went to championship itself. Tell us about um, what kind of uh, – is this a, in a small track, or, or how, how does it work uh, for the people, uh, listeners, they don't, they don't know, they're not familiar with this kind of things? Sure. Um you know, it's it's kind of interesting. It's a I love ultra running has so many different aspects within the sport. You know, I mean, you, of course, you got your trail running and your road races. When it comes to the 24 hour event, especially those that are trying for the U.S. team, it's it's all about strategy. It's all about picking a race that it has to be certified. It has to be, um, you know, USA track and field certified you know, for it to be eligible for someone to be eligible to use that towards you know a placement. Um, but the idea is picking one that's that's flat, 
uh, that it's a good time of year with the weather. And, you know, some of us like to run in the cold. Some of us do better when it's a little warmer. So you, you can kind of choose the race that you think fits your, um, you know, your strengths. Um, but it's all, it, you know, nothing is considered other than the mileage. So, you know, you've got your race, like your desert solstice race. It's on a track. Um, a lot of your 24-hour runners prefer the track because it's super predictable, really smooth surface. You know, you've got aid, you know, every quarter of a mile. Um, yet others, I probably, I can run them on the track. I don't prefer that just because sometimes, you know, you've got that chair every quarter of a mile too. So you know, <laughs> there's that temptation to take more breaks. You know, I prefer the half mile or the mile loop. So obviously any of your 24-hour events, they're going to be on some type of circuit. Most of them, you know, a mile I've seen some that are two miles, but um, most of the those that are really competitive prefer a mile or less, so that you know you can get aid um, pretty pretty regularly, and um, so pretty much how it works. Definitely, uh, we do have uh, uh, David Toss, the run for kids, run for uh, run for kids uh, uh, race director. David Toss, he has set a set up an event called Endless Mile. Here we do have a 24, 12, 24, and 48 hours. And I, dis, I do see a lot of different type of crowds that come in. Have you ever competed for in a 48 hours event? If you look at kind of my, my running style and with Ball State, I hadn't got to Ball State yet, which is even compared to the world. I mean, the world championship was the best experience, but as far as a race venue, nothing can replace Ball State. And it, it, it seems as if the longer the distance, the better, the more competitive I am. So I haven't done the 48 hour yet. Uh, it's probably something I might try in the near future. I'm not, not sure, but, um, but you're right. There's a lot of people and a lot of, a lot of people use those 24 hour events as a, it's a wonderful to- social time. I mean, for anybody out there that's done trail runs, especially a point to point, you may not see anybody the entire hundred miles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you maybe see one or two people. But when you're on a circuit, I mean, you know, it's just this great camaraderie, lots of positive energy, you know, and um, and and a lot of a lot, I think a lot of folks, if, you know, I really encourage anybody of any level get out and, and do those. I know initially people well, we're going to run and run around in circles. Doesn't it get boring? No, it doesn't because you're you know you're talking to people. You can slow down or you can speed up to to you know to keep pace with whoever you want to com- communicate with or, or exchange pleasantries with. So um, they're they're really a lot of fun. They're really a lot of fun. Definitely, I did the twelve hours of that. Uh, for me, it was like kind of. I'm I'm still not I'm still not used to that. I guess uh, I may have to try it again in the future. But uh, it was a little, a little difficult for me. Uh, I'm glad I only ran twelve hours, 50, 50, 50 miles or fifty one miles, something like that. Uh, yeah. um, but um, talk about that. Let's talk about the Vol State. I think you set the record uh, on the Vol State. Uh, people who don't know the Vol State, they they start somewhere in a. Uh, uh, what in Missouri, Missouri, Missouri mm-hmm. borderline yep. all the way to Georgia. Let's talk about That's that right. a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, the Ball State, it, of course, I think most people have heard of Lazarus Lake, Gary Cantrell. You know, any any race that he dreams up in his mind is, is sure to be interesting and epic in many, many respects. <laughs> but, um, and of course, being from Tennessee, you know, I've, I've heard about the race and known about it ever since, you know, they've they've had it. And, um, and part of part of it, I, you know, I thought, well, my training was going really well. I thought it would be a good way to kind of get in some to kind of really, you know, 
boost my endurance a little bit for those 24-hour events. So I guess 2014 was the first year that I did the Ball State. Didn't know I had never run anything more than a 24-hour. So um, that was virgin territory for me to go past anything past 24 hours. And um, had some mistakes that first year, but overall, you know, that's what's beautiful about it. It's 314 miles, 500 kilometers. It starts in Missouri. Basically, you get on a ferry in Missouri, cross over the Mississippi River. Um, Laz says that those two miles that you cross in the Mississippi River are free. So you get to ride the ferry. <laughs> and when the, when the gates of the ferry come down on the Kentucky Kentucky side, you're off. Uh, 10 miles through Kentucky, 200 some odd miles through Tennessee. I think it runs maybe three or four miles through Alabama. And then it, it ends about a mile or two into the Georgia state line on Sand Mountain in northern, the northwest corner of Georgia, I guess it is. Um, and the races run in the middle of July in the hottest humid most humid time of year in rural tennessee so that makes for a pretty brutal event in many respects um so and it it is i mean it's it's hard to describe just the journey that you you take on on an event like that that takes that that long um the first year i did it i was able to complete it in three days and 17 hours the second year i completed it um didn't do quite as well that was i struggled on that but I still was still able to break um, four days and, and come away with a victory. And then last year, um, it was really pretty phenomenal. I was um, I'd really focused for the six months prior to last um, July for the Badwater 146. That was really the only thing on my radar. And I, I guess I I got word that the Vol State was going to start a week later than it normally does, which was would have been about a week after I finished Badwater 146. So, of course, you know, in the back of your mind, that ultra mind that you think you can do anything that <laughs> um, I thought, well, maybe if I if I recover well from Badwater, I can come back to Tennessee and run Vol State. But it was just a passing thought. But I finished Badwater. I was sitting in a, a Mexican restaurant in Arizona, and I felt really good. It was two days after Badwater, and I hadn't registered for Vol State. And I turned to my wife, and I said, you know, I think I'd like to do Vol State again. I feel really strong. She's like, okay. And so I called Laz, and all I had to do, I was like, hey, Laz, how you doing? And he was like, good. He's like, you want to come play next week? And that was his <laughs> He knew exactly. He knew exactly what I was calling about. So he let me squeeze in that last um, last year, and it was just it was kind of the perfect storm for me i mean i could not have asked for you know the you know i think if you run long enough whatever the distance a 5k or a 500k you'll experience that that race where just you feel like everything comes together you can't ask for anything more and um for me that was ball state 2016 um, i was able to break the course record by an hour um Joe Feggie had the course record prior to me, uh, three days, seven hours and 48 minutes, I believe it was. So felt really good about that and felt really blessed to be able to walk away with that course record. What amazing story, uh, Greg, uh, because you just ran uh, Badwater and then a week after running running a ball state and, and setting a course record. Tell us about uh, um, just the experience that you, that you had uh, – uh, trying to break that record, uh, did you felt any difficulty? As I mean, you just ran a bad water, and now you're about to run another another 300 some mile odd miles uh, across uh, across uh, across Tennessee and and finish here uh, middle of July. Uh, what was the what is what was it like for you? Was it a, was it a difficult journey? I mean, I mean, breaking that record. I mean, you I guess you didn't you didn't expect that. Uh, you ran without expectation. I guess that's that was the whole whole thing here. Right. Well, 
You know, I, I, I do have to qualify just a little bit. Badwater 146, you know, for me, that was more of a journey than it was just to run it as absolutely hard and as fast as I could. I mean, just to, I wanted to, you know, and we've all been there. If you've done ultras where you're just, you're, you're loopy, you're, you can't take in anything. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to see the stars in the desert, you know, in Death Valley. I wanted to be as cognizant as I could to see the sunrise when I'm on the summit of Mount Whitney. And so, you know, even though, you know, that was, it was an, it was a continuous effort, the 146. I mean, I didn't stop and, and, you know, take, take breaks or long breaks, you know, any, anything like that. I didn't, I didn't redline it, you know, so to speak. So I, I wasn't pushing myself to the absolute limit. So I think that had a big part in, um, you know, be me being able to compete in Vol State. Um, as far as the Vol State event goes, John Cash, who I mentioned, we were on the U.S. team together, and we both had, had you know, competed against Mark Twain, 100 miler. I've competed against him there. I competed against John Cash, who's such a dear friend. I don't like to say competed against. I, I like to say competed with. Um, <laughs> you know, we we ran the national championship, 24-hour national championship together, and we ran Vol State last year together and and john cash is a phenomenal runner so you know having somebody we, we were i think it at 24 hours we were we were within a mile of one another at 48 hours we were probably five or six miles from each other so i mean having him nipping at my heels that that kept me honest throughout vol state you know that, those times where you'd like to take another 30 minute break knowing that john cash is behind you you need to get back on the road so that that played a, a big part in it um, and me being able to just to stay sharp the entire three days uh, to be able to break that record. Definitely. Uh, the listener, if you don't know, Vol State, it's, it's the cutoff time is 10 days, I think. You you did in three days. You had a whole week off, I guess, uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> for the end of the race. So so in, in the Vol State, I guess uh, some people would take a break, I guess, throughout the throughout the event. And, and like you, you just continued on. How, how many breaks did you take uh, during those times? Are you just short breaks or how does that work? <laughs> well, you know, that was a big learning curve for me. Um, the first year I did Vol State, you know, after 24 hours, I thought, well, I'll take a two hour nap and I could, I, you know, for me personally, if you're, you know, if you're really going, going at it hard, I never did that again. I woke up from that two hour nap so stiff and just, it was, it was everything I could to get back on the, back on the road. So I guess last year with the course record in the three days and seven hours, I think I slept maybe a total of four to six hours. It's hard to say exactly, but nothing more than a 30, 45 minute nap. Um, and, you know, just, and that's what I love about the ultras, you know, you, you, you have to, it's a lot of, a lot of strategy. It's learning the science of your body. You know, I researched, you know, you, for about three days, you have about 72 hours and you can, you can kind of trick your body, you know, into your, those 20, 30 minute naps, you kind of trick your body into thinking that it's gotten more rest than what it actually has. And so you take those 20, 30 minute naps and you wake up rejuvenated and you're ready to go again. Um, I haven't experienced it, but from what I read, you, you only have about 72 hours to, to really, um, do that to your body. After that, then you, you need to go down for some really good, solid rest. So, um, so, you know, you're constantly on that red line of complete exhaustion. Basically, my method was Vol State. Um, if I couldn't complete a mile in 25 minutes, 
walking, running, whatever, it was time for me to lay down and take a break. And so that's kind of the strategy that I developed over the three years. It was less, you know, methodical than, you know, years, the first two years, it was like, okay, I'm gonna take a break every six hours or every seven hours. Um, last year, and I think that was a secret to my success was just run till you can't run anymore. And then when you can't even walk a 25 minute mile, you need a break. Um, and so, and it seemed to work. That that seemed to work. Tell us about um, you. You you look like uh, you have kind of this ultra endurance ability. Um, like we talked about your running journey, but what where does it come from? I mean, is it a natural ability? Did you train for it? I mean, you do you use some sort of different t- training technique than rest of us, or you're just out out there running all the time? How does that work for you? And it, it I think as you get older, you know, you have to maybe adjust your training to your age just a little bit. Um, but I do believe that there's a turning point in my ultra running career instead of, you know, I used to focus a lot on, you know, the long runs or trying to get in that 40 or 50 mile run to get ready for the hundred miler. And it worked. I mean, and I was able to complete and be somewhat competitive in some of those, those first couple of years of doing ultras, but I changed my strategy to more total weekly miles. Um, when I changed my strategy to total weekly miles and less focused on, you know, one 40 mile long run, um, I really think it helped. I think that was, that made a big difference in my ultra ultra, you know, success. And basically what that means for me, I'm a school teacher. So a typical day is, you know, I'll try to get in somewhere between maybe 10 to 15 in the morning. I may squeeze in another three miles at lunch and then run four or five in the afternoon. Um, And where I think that benefits me, it's those four or five miles in the afternoon where you're already fatigued. You've been on your feet all day. You're tired, and but to me, that's that. Those are the money miles. Um, it's, it's not 13 miles in the morning. It's that four and four and five miles in the afternoon that uh, it's running on tired legs and just running, kind of trying to simulate as best you can those late miles of an ultra where you're fatigued. And for me, that that was a good turning point because because it was when I would do those 40 or 50 mile long training runs to get ready for a hundred miler, I'd have to take a day off before and maybe two days off after. And then that just kind of kills that cycle and that, that consistency of your body. But got you little mile here, little mile there trying to right. add it. I mean, I, I have uh, done that in a, this, this summer, my call summer of training. I'm almost end of the training cycle where I did like a, um, like 15 miles Thursday or 10 miles Monday. And as, as Similar to what you're talking about. Maybe I 10 mile Monday, I get three miles in the morning, three miles in the afternoon, maybe some four miles in the evening, something like that. So trust, just keep, I guess, uh, keep going out and uh, and uh, logging those miles, even in tire mm-hmm. legs. But definitely, I need to look at that. Uh, I need to log some volume miles. Uh, I'll have to see because I need some 50 miles, 40 miles a weekend, you know. But I've been trying to do weekends, but I, I think I need single runs. But but definitely, uh, that's uh, that's interesting. And the way you you use your training and adjust, uh, so that's how you built endurance, correct? Uh, that's yeah, I think that's a lot of it. Um, I've always been kind of an avid hiker, you know, and I I think I count hiking miles as running miles, and to go out, and I think that helps too. And and every now and then I'll try to do an overnight run just to kind of at least I don't know if you. I'm not sure if you necessarily, you know, train your body to sleep deprivation. Um, You know, there's different theories on that. But I think at least knowing what sleep deprivation feels like and being able to run through it so that you can reference that in a race. And again, I mean, those are my strategies. I know other people have different strategies that work for them. I'm not a race trainer. You know, a lot of folks use they use rate a lot. They use a race as a training. Um, I'm more of, I, I like to pick the races that I do. I, I like to 
be really focused and dialed in for them. Um, that's not to say I might pick a 50 miler here and there just to, as a training run, but I generally don't, you know, I don't run a race every other weekend. Um, but I know some people do, and some people enjoy that aspect of it, of using races as training runs. Um, so there's a lot of different methods, I guess, to get to that, that endurance ability. Definitely. I'm, I'm one of those uh, picks a race every other weekend. Once uh, once the season will start, I probably run a, run a 50K next week locally here, and then, yeah. and then, then it's going to build. The only problem for me is uh, once the racing season starts, I'm, I'm kind of racing and not training. So that's I think I need to change that a little bit because I've become just tra- recovering from one race to the next. And I race, a lot of time I race pretty hard. So, I mean, I don't like the way <laughs> it happens, but <laughs> I keep on doing it. So I need to change a little bit. I, I changed a lot this summer. So we'll see. Once the season starts, we'll see how that will play. Greg, uh, you had a great run at uh, Badwater and Vol State. After that, uh, how, how was your running journey? Tell us about how did it go after that. What do you do now? Well, you know, I, I, to be honest, I mean, I, I was, I know I mentioned that Vol State, you know, that 500 kilometer 2016 was kind of the perfect storm for me coming off of Badwater 146. Just, I really, really paid, really paid for, for that one doing those two races back to back. Um, I'd suffered from overtraining syndrome once before, and I kind of suspected that I might do that again. I mean, you know, you, you can only dip into that well so many times without really depleting your body. And, and, and I don't know if anybody out there has experienced that. Um, I'm sure there's some ultra runners that have, but it's more than just that two or three day week, two week. I mean, it is, I went from being able to sleep, you know, five, six hours a night and being able to run 125 miles a week in training to if I didn't get eight hours of sleep it was hard for me to get through just a normal day forget about training so um you know and I think that there's some advice there too sometimes you you, know, you got to be careful with the ultra running training that you can you can overtrain and and pay for that but it was about six to eight months that I kind of in part of it too I, I needed a break mentally from the training and from that constant focus it was kind of a blessing to take a little time off from running starting to get back and starting to get that that drive back i was able to compete in a 24-hour race down in georgia on the first of june i didn't do great but considering the heat i was able to get in 120 121 miles in so that was a good kind of start back for me and um, training's been going well lately so um still don't have a race on the horizon I'm trying to decide if i'm going to shoot for the 2019 us 24-hour team but um that's that's kind of where I'm at right now. Definitely, uh, sounds like you you had to take a long break. Uh, I mean, I've, so far I have not had um, that uh, that issue. I, I'm I'm like you. Uh, Sometimes I'm worried about uh, I get this uh, what do you call overtraining syndrome, um, but hasn't happened to me yet. But um, I think I have over racing syndrome. But but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I, I over raced uh, beginning of the year. I raced nine races in in the five wow. months. So that's that was a lot of races. But but. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, I do take. Uh, I have taken a summer break, so so I'll probably start. But definitely, uh, that's uh, that's great to know for, for all the listeners to make sure you watch out what you do. So you know, sometimes we think we're unbreakable. Yeah. But anyway, um, talk about that. You have one interesting thing. Uh, you you also wear sandals to run most of the things. Do you still wear mm-hmm. sandals or? Yeah. Uh, let's and talk about that a little bit because when yeah. I saw you that first time, <laughs> you're like, it's like really. I mean, I was like, then you. Then I heard who you were, so I was like, okay, yeah, he, he's, he's good. So, and, and not only I heard, actually, I saw you. So tell us about yeah. your wearing sandal versus most of us. We have a, all different type of shoes. You're right. Well, and, you know, you know, I, I will admit there's pros and cons to it, and it's certainly not for everyone. And it's interesting how I kind of I got into it almost 
you know, by accident, I had I mentioned our water ministry. I had spent three months in southern Honduras working on water projects and drilling wells and working with different communities on trying to solve some of their water systems. And it was during the rainy season. And every day I'd go out. Of course, I had my running shoes that I'd because I'd try to run from one village to the next and get in some training runs there. And every day my feet were soaked, you know, just from the beginning of the day to the end of the day and you know you have to change socks and everybody knows what that's like and sometimes i'd be out and i'd have wet feet for 14 hours a long work long day of work and that just doesn't do well for your feet so i decided i've got to have something i want if i can and when i got back in the states i said i'm going to at least try to train to where i can get comfortable running a little bit in sandals so that when i go back to nicaragua or we go back to uganda you know and um, my feet get wet i can I can, I can run in sandals and I can hike in on some kind of all-purpose shoe that would dry out. I don't have to worry about changing my socks. So that's all it was at first was just trying to come up with some type of footwear that was more accommodating for, you know, developing countries during the raining season when I was out working all day. And I just got hooked. I will say they're not ideal for trails. I know the run for the kids. I think I face planted maybe three times on that, <laughs> on that race. And, and I will, I, you know, I've got some trail running shoes if I do a, a pretty technical trail. If it's not super technical, then, you know, I'll still do the sandals. But I will say this, the benefit of them, um, and mine are not the minimalist. These are, these are Teva sandals. So they've got some cushion, but probably not as much as most running shoes. But, um, you know, they're, these aren't the minimalist type. But the beauty of it, obviously, bad water. Bad water and Vol State both are known for trashing feet just because bad water, the heat of the road, Vol State, just because of the humidity, this all of your sweat and salt just ends up in your shoes because it doesn't doesn't evaporate or dry off. I ran both of those races, 146 miles in bad water. I've done Vol State three times, 314 miles. And in all four of those races, I had one small blister on the side of my foot. And it's not because my feet are any different. The beauty of it is I wear the sandals loose on a road race. So every time I lift my foot, you, I get a little bit of air that goes on my feet and they they're constantly dry um if it rains or if i want to pour water on my head five minutes five ten minutes later my feet are dry so um as far as you know those long distance point-to-point runs in the heat i wouldn't i I don't think i'd ever wear anything but the the sandals for that reason um and honestly you know that's probably the reason i was able to beat john cash in ball state um (laughs) he i mean he was he He's a he probably was a stronger runner than I, but he had to he spent more time time to change his shoes than than I did, and I think I think I beat him by three four hours, which that seems like a lot, but on a three day race, that's really not much. Um, and so you know that to me that's it's it's definitely worth. So you you find it comfortable uh, even the speed that you run. Uh, you find pretty comfortable for you, correct? Yeah, I mean, I and I don't really. If if I'm going to do like a half, a fast half marathon, you know, I may strap them down a little bit tighter. Um, but I think I did uh, hour twenty one minutes for a half marathon in the sandals, which is respectable. I mean, you know, I can, um, I'll get out and run with my cross country team. I'm a cross cross country coach, and I probably could run a little faster, you know, in in shoes, but. I don't think it impedes me too awful much. Definitely. For the distance you're running, the speed, as much as you can hold that speed as possible, right. as always works out great. Talking about that, talking about about aspect of training, your, your running, running journey. Tell us about uh, what kind of, uh, do you use any special diet? Do you have anything like that or, or you just eat whatever? Um, no, I, I try to eat 
eat pretty healthy. Um, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't guess I have any, any specific special diet to speak of. Um, you know, I just try to eat, you know, whole foods and, and natural foods, just try to eat as clean as I possibly can. But I, I try to have a pretty good variety. Um, it's a struggle for me because of my job and because of the ministry, you know, I like to have, be over, over like full body fitness. So, you know, I spend probably more time in the gym or more time, you know, upper body conditioning than, than, than I need to strictly for running. Um, so if I'm really gearing up for a race, like for instance, you know, the world championship, you know, I'll try to really back off the weights and, and lean down, probably drop it, probably drop 10 pounds of, of muscle just to try to, you know, be a little lighter and a little bit more competitive. Um, but if I, if I don't have a serious race, you know, I'm probably weighing in at about 165 you know whereas i can get down to i'm, I'm a lot a lot more efficient at 155 than i am 165 <laughs> i've been struggling with the weight for a while so i've been able to manage to bring it down a little bit this summer so yeah i'm, I'm really looking forward to my fall racing season talking about everything that you do uh tell us a Tell us what inspires you. I mean, for me, you know, it, running it to me, it's it's a very it's very much a spiritual journey. I mean, I, I find so much clarity and peace, and not just in racing, but just getting out in the mornings, and it's just a way for me to clear my head. You know, just to maybe meditate on, on you know the way that I'm blessed and how I can be a better father, be a better teacher, be a better mentor to the the young people in my life. And um, I just think more than any you know, podium or award running has blessed my life because I just think it makes me a better man. I mean, you know, that's, that's part of my inspiration. The other is, you know, the run for water. I use that as a time to meditate and to think about those that in our world that have, um, have a need. And so to run for a purpose that's greater than yourself, I think is, um, is cleansing to the soul. So that's, uh, that's a big motivation for me as well. Definitely. Uh, we can talk about run for water. Actually, I started myself uh, since Nepal earthquake. I started running for Nepal. Uh, I saw that run for water. Tell us about what is run for water. And you have mentioned several, several different occasions today. Uh, give us a little, uh, brief, uh, history and background on the run for waters. Sure. Um, well, I guess probably 2005, I started, you know, working. Um, I'm a high school science teacher. That's kind of my occupation. And I was teaching biology to a group of freshmen one year. And um, and I told them about some of my experiences on the Appalachian Trail. And so those kids, they said, oh, Coach, they call me Coach Armstrong. They said, Coach Armstrong, we want to hike the Appalachian Trail. I said, okay, well, you know, we're, and they wanted to hike the entire thing. Obviously, we couldn't do that in one one through hike. But we, we took a couple of weeks out of each year and would hike two, two to 300 miles each time and um i said well if we're going to do this i want you to pick a cause to hike for and and they said well we, we hear you talk a lot about the water crisis we want to hike for hike for water is what it is how it started um and so they raised enough money kind of your typical just raise money to drill a well in africa and so that's what the four young men that's what they did their sophomore year of high school they came to me and they said coach armstrong you know that was great and all we enjoyed raising money so, but you know we actually want to go somewhere in the world and solve the water crisis ourselves instead of just giving the money to another organization to go do something. And so, you know, as an educator and a mentor, when you have young people challenge you in that ways, in that way, um, you know, that kind of leads you to action. So that's kind of where Run for Water began. Myself and two young men went to University of Mississippi for a little workshop to learn how to build a water sterilization system. We installed our first one in Honduras in 2007. And I mean, I just feel like God's just really blessed our organization. And we've like currently we go to Kenya and Uganda twice a year to repair wells. Um, I leave for Nicaragua September 29th for a week to, um, uh, you know, to 
to do a water ministry there. But our biggest ministry, I, I would say 50% of all of our funds and 75% of our time is spent here in the United States. Um, it surprises people that in Appalachia, even in East Tennessee, there's still children drinking from contaminated wells and um, contaminated creeks and springs. I, I was just in Appalachia last weekend uh installing three water sterilization systems and tank systems for families there that have have either no running water in their home or have contaminated water so a lot of our ministry is domestic here in in the united states wow connecting your running to a great cause that's a great story uh greg uh greg uh, it has been really great pleasure to bring you to emron's podcast after a long time i finally got to talk to you and learn so much about you um before we close this interview uh just wanting you to give a word of advice to all our listeners to give a word of advice uh by taking your running 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 beyond running like you have done um to for the run for waters and other things you have done also as well as, well as take the running to that to that that maximum limit that you have done find find your find your boundaries find find everything that you can find about yourself through running give us a word of advice yeah well i guess my my biggest word of advice is just learn to just appreciate the joy of running and and what it can offer you in your life i know so many times i myself i get caught up in you know winning the race and 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 getting that accolade or getting the course record and and those those are true blessings and those are those are our great accomplishments and anytime you can win a race or break your own personal record but at the end of the day when i kind of look back on those accomplishments um i think more than anything else i love those those morning runs when it's just me out on the road by myself and that that what running reveals about yourself and how it make how I can make you a better person make you more disciplined uh, make you a better 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 individual for your family so to me that's that's how running can can bless us and using that to bless other people is is the greatest advice or greatest cause that I can run for definitely that's a great word of advice Greg uh, before we close this interview tell us how people can find your ministry run for waters and and find your running journey sure um, well of course you know Facebook um, like a lot of folks for my for my personal you know just Greg Armstrong on Facebook and then run for water. Dot net. It's run the number four water uh, net is our our website. So if anybody wants to know more about the Run for Water ministry, um, part of my my trip here at, to Nicaragua is to survey for a running ministry trip where we'll do water projects. I'm going down with Franklin Baker. Uh, a lot of folks know Franklin from the Chattanooga area. We're going to map out a 50 kilometer race that summits five volcanoes, four of them active with lava flow and different things, and then it finishes in a lagoon. So that's we're looking for that in 2019. Maybe try to organize a trip where folks go down and make some pretty epic runs on the Pacific Ocean and up a volcano and then work on water systems throughout the day. So we're looking for that. That sounds like a great, uh, Greg. It has been really pleasure to talk to you. Uh, hopefully we can uh, connect again in, in coming days and talk about more about running, uh, the sports that we love. Uh, oh, good luck to everything you're doing going forward, including your Run for Water ministry. Well, thank you. I've enjoyed the time. If you have a need to cover your events from marketing to taking photos, please contact mruns.com by emailing at marathonruns at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to another episode of Emirates Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast channel, Voice of Runners, at iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and more. And also follow our social media channel, Marathon Runs, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube.